Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You've got these people that go to a class and they learn something and then bam, they're instructor. It's disaster waiting to happen. You literally never know that a post that you're going to put up it may reach hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people and you could be steering them in the wrong way. If you're going to have a negative effect from a plant, you're going to experience it any place. Okay. So there is a worm that lives inside the body of a raccoon. You, you can take it in as a human and it will destroy your brain. It will actually eat your brain on the inside. Hey everybody, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step by step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Mr. Craig Cottle, what is up, dude? Weather, baby. Weather has finally broke in the great Commonwealth of Kentucky where it feels like fall. And it's fantastic. So I didn't have much time before recording the podcast today. So I just went to the woods and just sat down and did nothing for a short while. Just meditated, prayed, had some solo time there. And uh, with no task in front of me to do other than just sit there and listen, which is pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. Dude, it is. It is. As you would say, it's cold here. It's cold. Is it? What's the temps? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, well, I woke up this morning and I, it, it woke me up and said, uh, 37, good morning, David. It's 37 degrees. So oh, wow. and that was, that was, well, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a night owl. So that was, that was early in the morning at eight o'clock in the morning for me. So it was, it, it usually bottoms out around five or six o'clock in the morning here. So it might've been, it wasn't freezing, but it was, it was code. <laughs> code, C-O-D-E, coddle code. style. That's right, man. the The biggest video I've got on YouTube, two million some views. I, I get it, it, it. You either love it or you hate it that I say code on there. I mean, the people, the trolls, the trolls are minimal. I mean, they kind of get it. I mean, they'll they'll hammer me a little bit. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and uh, he's code. And then uh, the others are like, "I like this dude. I like the way he talks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, man." Yeah, isn't it like that on YouTube? It's the it's the one video that you never expected that ends up getting a million or two million views, and you're like, that video is oh, terrible. My word, yeah. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing to me that I've got two million views on that video because that video is terrible. It was one of them, and you, I mean, well, you you do fantastic video quality, but Craig Cottle here is known to just let's just make a video right now, sit it up on the toolbox of the truck, and I've got something I got to say, kind of stuff, and that's how that video was done. I just kind of threw it together, and you know. I I wish I, I wish I could be like you and Tim at Everyday Tactical Vids. I could just turn the camera on and and improvise the whole video, but I am not as gifted as that. 
So there's benefits to the way you, <laughs> the way you do videos. Trust me. We just talked about this. It takes me three days to do one video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, man. Take us on from here. All right, guys and gals, our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you are at the beginning right now. Today, we have several topics as they relate to food, and who doesn't like food? All right, so first, we're going to do insects. Secondly, we're going to do edible plants. Yeah, that's right. And lastly, we're going to pull something from the mailbag. And actually, it's not really from the mailbag as much as it is from a uh, Facebook topic that we had in our Nature Reliant School group that was, turned out to be one of the best discussions we've had in a while. So I thought I'd bring it over to David, see what he has to say about it, and share some of the thoughts that some of our folks there had too, because I think it's it's a really good discussion. And before we get into all this, guys, a couple of ways that you can make this a win-win for everybody. You know how Craig loves win, and he loves the HBO help a brother out. So a couple of ways you guys can participate and helping us keep great podcast coming your way one is to give directly on paypal two is to go over to the tribe at patreon three is to go over to anchor.fm there's a little tab there where you can give a little bit or give a lot monthly and and mr craig Cottle, we were talking about this before we came on the air here you can go over to amazon or tinysurvival.com and pick up some tiny guides and we're actually this topic is is going to be all based around section M in the guide for you guys following along. And to find all those links, you can go to thesurvivalshow.com and we make it really easy there. Plus, plus Sportsman's Guide. We love Sportsman's Guide. What do you say, Mr. Cottle? Sportsman's Guide is good to the Survival Show podcast. Matter of fact, they're better than good. They're great. So they've been an incredible sponsor, and we appreciate them. So just check out the sportsmansguide.com for you all. uh, See what they've got to offer. As David mentioned in our last podcast right now, you can sign up for a 30-day free trial for basically their buyer's club, which is pretty cool. You get like 10% off. You get free shipping, over 49 bucks, and you often can utilize their for pay, which you can break all the a big payment up into four different payments, interest-free, and it's only for members. So check that out. Uh, I looked at just uh, like every time we do a podcast together, David, I get on there and look at Swarson's Guide and try to find some tidbit of information that I can share with everybody listening. And this one just stood out to me because I know how hard it is to get people to give you a five-star rating or a four-star, even you know just people to give you a rating. And their average is 4.5 out of 5 stars, and they have 45,000-plus reviews. You know, we're looking at two or 3,000 reviews for our podcast, and I feel like we're doing pretty good. And they've got 45,000, and that average is 4.5. So I, I think it's pretty fantastic. I also got into, and I didn't realize how vast this is, you can get on their sportsmansguide.com and check out. They've got news segments. They've got blogs. They've got videos on bow hunting, big game hunting, fishing, and a whole lot more. So not only is it a resource to get gear, it's a resource to learn and educate yourself. So, yeah, check it out, sportsmansguide.com. Use the links in the description below. That lets them know you came from us, which makes Sportsman's Guide want to continue to help us out and sponsor us. So we appreciate that. So you ready to, you ready to eat some weeds and bugs, dude? Yeah, let's talk about weeds and bugs. All 
right, guys. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, well, we're going to talk about edible plants and insects. And like I just mentioned before, we, for you all following around, for you all following us in the Tiny Survival Guide, we've been tracking our way through there from early, early on in this podcast. And today we're going to be in food foraging, which is section M, edible plants and bugs. Yum. So, Craig, as we get into this, let's first talk about some foraging essentials. And this is going to apply to anything that you go and forage in wild places. And basically, we've broken this down into seven rules. So you want to get us started with the first one? Yeah. So guys and gals, it's it's always good whenever you're studying a subject that you may not be familiar with, and maybe even if you are familiar with, to know what the do's and don'ts are. And that's why we did the guide the way we did, um, both as a, oh crap, I need some information. So, you know, obviously there's some actual sketches. David, you did the sketches, did you? You did I all did, the sketches I did, for I, the edible I plants? Did, yeah. I did about uh, 75% of them. And my daughter, Ty, who is gifted well beyond me, did all the hard ones, like the, uh, the bow drill stuff. Yep. Oh, okay, cool. And so we've got those there for you to use as a reference tool. But as a training tool, the guide was intended to be just as much a training tool as a resource to, to reference. Um, knowing these seven rules are important. Number one being never eat anything unless you can positively ID what it is that you're eating. Uh, case in point, one of the things that uh, I see all the time on Facebook, oh my gosh, it really, really bothers me and hurts me is that people will find some sort of edible plant and they've got something in their mind about, you know, all orange things are good. And I'm not saying that's true, okay? You know, and they, they think that, you know, for example, I saw somebody that had eaten jack-o'-lantern mushrooms last week on Facebook and thinking they were chicken out of the woods. And so it was, you know, because chicken out of the woods is primarily orange, jack-o'-lantern mushrooms are orange, and, you know, something is they're, they're similar you, enough. They are similar enough. You could make that mistake. And this person did. Fortunately, they tested it on themselves first, meaning they took a small dose of it, a small portion of it and chewed it up and actually swallowed it. That's how they were testing to see if it was OK, which is an absolute no, no. And they got incredibly sick, incredibly sick. Fortunately, it was small enough that it wasn't going to be long-term harmful to them. But nevertheless, never, ever eat anything unless you can positively ID it. And I just want to throw in a next level here. If if you think you're, you're ever going to be in a situation where you're going to need to eat wild things or or things that are growing and propagating beyond your garden, you need to be doing that. And I'm going to suggest, uh, for instance, like a class like Craig does, do that with somebody who's experienced. Uh, it's important to have books and things like that. But man, even even the whole thing with the jack-o'-lantern versus chicken of the woods, uh, there's if you have the wrong book you or the wrong guide, you could be making a big mistake. So you want to be testing and trying things starting with the easiest stuff first. And you want to do that with somebody who really, really knows so they can keep you safe. And you want to be doing that before, hear me, everybody, before you're in a stressful survival situation because 
if you don't know that you know that you know now in a situation where it's not stressful and you're not hungry and you don't have all the uh, other issues that go along with a, a true survival crisis situation, uh, you're going to make some big, big mistakes that could kill you in that situation. Now, Craig, you mentioned something about this person who tested, quote in quotes, tested the what ended up being a jack-o'-lantern mushroom by actually eating a little bit. I have seen this in what I would say are fairly well-regarded survival manuals where there's like this three to five step process of like, Hey, if you don't know what something is, you like rub it on your face and then rub it in, then like test it on your tongue. And like you go through this progression. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about here? I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Can you, I would, I would really love to know because I think this is going to be the entertaining part. Can I would really love to know what you think of that technique and that that tactic. Okay, it is it's a poor method for scientific understanding. And I'll I'll just say that first. The process is you take a unknown substance, let's say it's a plant, you rub it on the inner surface of your forearm. And the reason that you do that, or the reason it's stated that you do that, is because the skin on the inside of your forearm is of a different consistency than the other skin on the outer portion of your forearm, which means it's more sensitive. It's basically the same, uh, similar skin particles. You'd have to get a dermatologist to explain this technically. I can't do that. But you get similar skin at your inner wrist, around the corners of your eyes, and around your genitals. Okay, so it's very sensitive skin. And so if a plant is going to affect. I, I, I pick the inner forearm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. what I pick. So you put it on your inner forearm, you wait. And depending upon how long you wait is up to the individual instructor who teaches you how to do this. Now I, I'm, I'm telling this method because I don't want anybody to do this, but when you see this, I want people to recognize it and I'm going to explain why all this is, is bunk. Uh, after you do that, you wait most people say 30 minutes when they're teaching this. And if you don't have no um, ill effects, you take a very small portion of it, put it in your mouth, let it sit in your mouth for a few seconds, and then spit it out. Then after you do that, you put it under your tongue and then spit it out. And then after you do that, then you swallow most a small piece of it and wait for, uh, depending upon who you listen to, a few minutes or maybe a couple hours and then if you have no ill effects, then you go ahead and just feel comfortable eating that particular plant. Let me tell you where each one of those is wrong. Okay. First off, the skin that is on the inner forearm is slightly different than the, in, the skin that's on the outside of your forearm. But if you're going to have a negative effect from a plant, you're going to experience it any place. Okay. Number two, um, putting anything in your mouth that you don't know what it is, is a major problem. Uh, the reason is that you do have very sensitive uh, uh, receptors in your mouth that will take that in and then start immediately putting it into your body, which is very close to your brain, which is very problematic. Number three, when you swallow something, to know if it's going to have any Ill effects on you should take at least through the next uh, defecation process you need to have because some plants that you eat will not cause problems to your skin they will not cause problems in your mouth 
but they will wreak havoc in your intestinal tract. They won't have, you won't be having problems with them in your stomach, but you'll have problems in your intestinal tract. You don't know that until it gets outside of the stomach and going through your intestinal um, tract. So that's, that's, all that is bunk. I mean, it is what it is. I would go back to exactly what you just said, David, which is to uh, know what you're eating and under the stress of survival, don't allow normalcy bias. This is another reason we talk about normalcy bias all the time. Don't allow normalcy bias to outweigh what it is that's going on. Okay. Meaning you'll, you'll be hungry and you'll go, okay, that mushroom's probably okay because you're so hungry. It's the same thing of going to the grocery when you're hungry. You never go to the grocery when you're hungry because you'll always buy more food than you do when you're not hungry. And so, uh, your decision-making is, 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 is less when you're in a situation of survival, just because your critical thinking skills harder to do unless you practice. And so, yeah, that's a real problem. That's really good, Craig. Thanks for sharing that. So rule number one, never eat anything unless you can 100% positively ID it. And if you like catchy things to remember, if in doubt, leave it out. That's, if you just practice that alone, uh, you're going to, you're going to keep yourself pretty safe in wild places. Take some granola bars, take a good book, take a good class. Craig's got classes going all the time over at naturereliance.org. Uh, hey, pick let me one tell up, you something. Get together with Craig. Let me tell you something yeah, man, that's go going on lately. Um, so I yeah. got, uh, I You're took it. classes like crazy. I wasn't even going <laughs> to talk about that. that. I was going to talk about something else. Um, I took advantage of the discount that MRE Nation offered uh, Ultimate Survival Tips. What was it? UST. I got 15% off. I've ordered a case of MREs, and I've been eating on some of those MREs for the last two weeks. And it's crazy, man, how how freaking good they are. <laughs> I mean, really? they are tasty. They're fun. And you can take out, you can pull out one little piece of them and throw them in your pack, and you've You've got a snack when you need to. I mean, I don't know. I'm getting off subject here, but Bob was on very intelligent gentleman and he talked very intelligently about MREs and the ability to use them for survival or whatever backpacking. And I just want to, while I'm thinking about it, say a plug and use that discount because that was, those are good MREs. All right. I'm sorry. I'm all, I, th- I'm all, I think that was UST 15. Yeah. UST that's 15. That's it. Go yep. to MRE nation, UST 15. And, uh, they, they had one, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back on track, but I'm not. He had one that was an all chocolate one that they sent me and I'm not a big fan of chocolate. So I handed that off to somebody in my family, dude, that was good. I jumped in on that too. They've got, everybody likes peanut butter and crackers. Every meal had peanut butter and crackers in. I don't know if all of them do. Um, yeah, it was good. I'm sorry. Let's get back to rule number two. So yeah, just forget <laughs> about the bugs and yeah. for, forget about yeah, exactly. the plants and just pack some MREs. <laughs> I know, man. It was just so, it's so easy to do. Uh, the last two classes I've taught, I've just taken MREs and eaten them because I usually cook a bunch of stuff and I'm like, I just don't feel like it. So pack an MRE, everything's there for you. All right. Rule number two, don't eat plants that are possibly treated with chemicals. Let me point out a couple of things for you. It's real easy for us when we're starting our study into edible plants that we just go wherever it's easy to get to. 
And sometimes that might be in an urban or suburban area. You just, quite frankly, in a park, you just do not know what a, for example, a parks and recreation or a public works department is going to do to spray plants. So don't do that. Can I, can I just tell you, let me tell you something here. Yeah. Tell me something. I, I do know what they're going to do. Uh, my, my technical degree is landscape architecture from Penn state. And I'm going to tell you that any, any park anywhere that if it, if it's a park that looks nice, they are spraying. They're, they're going to be spraying with uh, everything from Roundup to insecticides because it saves them time and labor. They're just going to do that. And if you're in a park that doesn't look good, there may be other substances on the plants that you're really not going to want to consume. Wink, wink. So, Craig, you're exactly right about that. You just need to be careful. If you live in an urban area, you just need to get out to the wild places and off the trails a little bit if you're going to uh, be testing yeah. some of the things that we're saying here and they can just come down to Kentucky because you're taking them out to the wild places <laughs> yeah. and they can learn out there. True. We did. They can do a woods walk with Craig at I the end of the class. Of I did my... three of those last week, the whole day. It's something Dude, new that we're doing. I'm going to tell you that's when I do your trainings, I look forward to that. That's like my favorite part. What the woods walks. Yeah. I love the woods. Walks. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. So just real quick, what the woods walk is, is, it's normally at the end of Craig's class and, and he'll just go for a walk with the class through the woods and he'll reinforce things learned in the class, ask questions. People can ask him questions and, and there's, there's oftentimes little surprises along the way that can challenge the class. We won't go any further, <laughs> but anything else on this whole uh, treated with chemicals thing? I think you had a couple of points there. Yeah, I, I want to point something out, too, because uh, a lot of times, because a lot of edible plants are native plants to an area, they will grow in disturbed areas. What I mean by disturbed is an area where there's a lot of foot traffic or maybe even vehicle traffic. And so as far as studying and getting your eyes on something like that, the side of a rural roadway where you're not in danger to be hit by a car is a great place to see edible plants. But due to exhaust and oil and antifreeze and all the things that comes off of cars, it's not a place to eat them. But if you uh, have access to a place where you can walk, there's usually a lot of times um, because of, again, because of disturbed areas, there's a lot of opportunity to see different plants there. You can sketch them, draw them, look at them, take pictures of them, lay your book down next to them or what have you. And I don't know if we're going to get into this at all, Craig, but there are a lot of edible flowers. And I think this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. You don't want to be eating any, like for instance, here's a for instance, wild roses, rose petals, you can eat, right? And and generally speaking, roses you can, but you don't want to go to Walmart you definitely do not want to go to Walmart and eat rose petals. You don't want to do that. Just don't do it. So, all right. Rule. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that's come out uh, just to build on what you're saying. I'm going through this master natural certification right now. And it we, we studied invasive species last week. That was the topic of class. And it's been, it was, it's really interesting to see how species that are non-native just wreak havoc in an area. And so if you're looking at a, a local rose versus something that it comes from, you know, a, a non-local source, then oftentimes it's just not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a food source for certain because it's just been 
and you probably described this better than I can, David, but it's just going to be so right. hybridized at this point to be a beautiful flower that it's just not going to be uh, effective as a food yep. source. Yep. Yeah. Well said. All right. Rule number three. So you want to clean, definitely, definitely clean all of the plants that you would find in the wild and cook or boil any questionable plants. And this gets back to a story. I've, I've got a friend who is a missionary to South Sudan, and he actually married a South Sudanese girl. And they are actually here in the United States, you know, John, because he was at, he was at one of our first classes. And, uh, and so his wife had never, she, she didn't like vegetables at all or, you know, plants or whatever they, they could gather there. If, if you all don't know South Sudan, uh, it's been an area that's been under incredible turmoil and, and stress politically and at war over the last 20, 30 years in, in various stages and phases of their government. So she didn't like plants at all as far as eating them. She didn't like salad or anything like that. And the reason is because of the disease, because of various different factors there, they had to really, really cook, heavily cook or boil anything that they had there. And when she came to the United States, of course, she could eat fresh plants and food. And they were actually visiting, I'm going to say two, three months ago. And she was here and, and she loves she loves fresh vegetables now and all the things out of the garden and all that because now she can eat them without having to just cook them till there's nothing left. But that being said, that's just an example of you can be in a really bad situation and uh, as long as you clean well, cook and boil your plants, some plants, depending on the, the species, uh, you really need to kind of parboil them and, and uh, put them through several processes of boiling. I think this gets to, I'm not sure that this is one of our rules, but as far as plant study and edible plants and medicinal plants, you want to start with easy plants. And as we get into this, Craig, I know we're going to start with some of the easies that people can get into. They're probably in their backyard right now. So that's my take on cooking and boiling. Do you have anything else there? No, uh, I think you covered it just as well as I could on anything. Uh, it's just, it's just important. There's some, obviously a, a large number of things that you can, I'll just give a, a scare tactic. I'm, I'm just going to lay a scare tactic out there. Okay. And I know what I'm doing. Um, but this is just worthy. This is worthy of discussion. So there is a worm that when that lives inside the body of a raccoon. And when this worm is defecated, out then it can it can you you can take it in as a human and it will destroy your brain it will actually eat your brain on the inside okay so even in wild places where a raccoon might poop pee either one if you eat a plant that that raccoon has pooped or peed on you could get that worm inside of your brain and kill you okay so even in a survival situation you should take the opportunity to cook or boil plants as David has suggested in rule number three, whenever possible. And only, only when you have to eat them raw. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of other things. I mean, deer and everything else pee in the woods too. Right. But, um, 
this thought of, and it scared me to death when, because I, I learned this process when I was studying mushrooms with a biologist and he, he, he walked me through this process and I can't speak on that as educated as he can, but he's like, Craig, I just, you know, he's a big mushroom guy, big edible plants guy. And he's like, I don't eat anything out here unless I wash it, uh, unless I clean it up. So yeah. I really changed the way I teach class after that, David. No joke. Because a lot of times we'll pick up like wood sorrel or something and have people eat it in a class. And uh, because it's so, it tastes like lemons and stuff like that. And more than likely, it's probably not going to be a problem. But just the thought of, you know, this this worm that could eat my brain from the inside out is, you know, makes me just be a little yeah. bit more cautious when I, when I can't. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and Karen, my, my wife's going <laughs> to listen right. to this. So, you know, there goes all our, our fresh vegetables from the wild. <laughs> now you can eat them. You just got to wash them, man. Just wash them. Golly, it's scary, isn't it? All right. Rule oh, number well. four, since you started, since you've integrated mushrooms quite well so far, why don't you go, go with this one? Yeah. The, just for survival, you all never eat wild mushrooms. Now, anybody that follows me and knows anything about me know that I eat m- m- wild mushrooms all the time. And I do that with an incredible amount of study research and put a lot of effort into doing that and doing it right. So uh, what I mean by that is that I have my books, I have my website, which is uh, mushroomexpert.com. That's a fantastic website. So one of the things that that um, is important to understand, we talked about this briefly a minute ago, is that under the stress of survival, your decision-making goes out the window, oftentimes, unless you train on that a lot. And so you might look at a mushroom and go, yeah, it's probably okay. When that mushroom's mycelium, which is the root system of a mushroom, travels down a log and the source for its uh, nourishment is some toxic plant down the way. And it's not that the mushrooms, you know, you know, it, it might be a morel, it might be a chicken of the woods, it, it could be any number of things. But if that is on a host that is toxic, then that can be problematic. For example, you know, chicken of the woods, just, just as an example, chicken of the woods typically grows on oak trees, but we found one this year on a, on a wild cherry tree. Now here's the thing about, and this, this is worthy of note. This is really worthy of note. When a wild cherry tree is in the process of dying, the decomposition process forms some of the, the, uh, I don't know what the right word is, parts particularly the leafy parts of a wild cherry tree can then transform into uh, this liquid that has a cyanide derivative on it so as a farmer you if you have a wild cherry tree that falls down you never want your cattle to be able to eat those leaves because it'll kill them okay i mean this is just something i knew growing up well we found a chicken of the woods growing on a wild cherry tree this year and it's just really, really odd. Okay. So, um, chicken of the woods grows on a, a decomposing and or dying host nearly always, which means that wild cherry tree is in the process of dying. Okay. So if that process was going on, that mushroom could easily take in as part of its properties, some of that cyanide derivative in it. And you're basically eating a mushroom that has a cyanide derivative in it. So 
it's not just that, hey, I see chicken of the woods. You've got to look at the host. You've got to look at what it's growing on. And, in, and I'm not saying that that mushroom is a problem. I'm just saying that's a lot of decision-making and things to work through, right? Under the stress of survival, if I just go, ooh, chicken of the woods, boom, I eat it, then that's a problem. So I would just, I would just avoid them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mushrooms can be a fantastic food. And medicinal. They have so many medicinal properties. And Karen and I, especially Karen, have gotten into mycology, which is the study of mushrooms in the last couple of years. And I want to just here recommend a couple of sources. One, I know you've done some videos and Craig, you've got uh, some some simple steps to get into wild edible mushrooms in your books. I also want to recommend, I don't know if you've heard of this young man, but Adam Harriton. He really opened, I know, my wife's eyes to wild mushrooms. He's somewhere outside of Pittsburgh, and he's a, he's a biologist. He has a lot of videos on Facebook, and his YouTube following's growing. Uh, the guy is a walking encyclopedia, and he's just generally seems like a jolly good fellow. Uh, maybe sometime we'll have him on the, the podcast, and we'll just talk mushrooms, mushrooms, mushrooms. But that's Adam Harrington. And then which which of your books, Craig, have... Uh, what what resources do you offer so people can get started in wild mushrooms if that's something they want to get into? Avoid them. You did. In my books. Okay. Uh, my first book is, yeah, I avoided uh, mushrooms altogether in, in my survival book for that very reason. And uh, I don't think I'll ever put a book out. I don't think I'm qualified to do that on anything to do with eating mushrooms. Uh, I do teach two or three and in a nature immersion class or an edibles class that we teach here. But um but no, yeah. I don't have anything. And like that's that. why I'd love to get somebody on. Okay. Yeah. Let me see if I can get Adam. Yeah, I'd love I think to Adam would be a really, really fun guest to have on here. But here's what we're saying I'm, I'm just going to boil this down. Wild, edible, and medicinal mushrooms are a complete study all in themselves. I would say it takes years of training. There's multiple checks that you need to go through because there's so many lookalikes. That's the problem. There's so many lookalikes. And, uh, different people respond in different ways to wild mushrooms. Even some of the good ones, Karen had a reaction to chicken of the woods and I didn't. So it really depends. Really? What, what happened? Uh, she just, she just felt, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. She just got an upset stomach. She didn't even eat that many. I ate a bunch of them. And, and uh, so some people, even when you're eating wild mushrooms, they recommend just starting with a small, a small portion just to check whether it's going to work for you. So here's what we're saying for survival comma, never eat wild mushrooms. So we're going to leave it at that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rule number five, Craig. Train with someone that knows what they are doing. We've got off on a tangent of mushrooms, but that's it. But one of the things I just said, I hope it was clear to everybody. I'm not going to teach uh, in-depth study on mushrooms because I'm just not qualified to do it. I study with a lot of people. I know what I feel comfortable uh, talking about. And this is uh, in, in 
And the other thing that's really important, and this is really incredibly problematic in the bushcraft survival community as of late, is is what I'm going to call in a, a, a post real soon, is amateur hour. You've got these people that go to a class and they learn something and then bam, they're instructors. And it just, it's, it's, it's disaster waiting to happen. And so don't listen to some amateur on a topic. Uh, I'm an amateur when it comes to mushrooms. So I, I, I wouldn't recommend that you listen to me on in-depth study of mushrooms. Now plants, I eat plants all the time. I've been doing it for 20 plus years. So uh, I can talk about some plants, but, but, uh, that's something that you need to find somebody that knows what they're doing. And I think there's a, there's two kinds of people that are good and it's hard to, it's easy to find one of them and it's hard to find another one. You have academics, you have people that have PhDs in topics like forest ecology or, or entomology or something of that nature. And then you have people that are really good practically. And sometimes the practical people know how to apply things in the survival um, bushcraft sort of mindset and the academics don't understand it at all. Um, you know, and, and I know I keep going back to this master, master naturalist class. Like we had a professor come in and talk about archeology span and one of the comments he had in class is that people still do, uh, flint napping and, and arrow making and spear making and stuff like that. And the whole class is like, really? People actually do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'd, do that all the time, you know? And this professor, I asked him after class, if, do you do any flint napping? And no, he has never done any flint napping. And I thought, how do you understand napped flint if you don't flint nap? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, he's got a real good academic knowledge. He's got a PhD in archaeology. That's pretty cool. But, you know, I, I like hanging out in the woods with, with people that have a lot of practical knowledge. That's important to understand. It's hard to find a qualified person that has that practical knowledge. It's pretty easy. Just look at the, you know, the initials after somebody's last name to get the first one. And I want to encourage people on this with rule number five, take some trainings, reach out to people that are able to be reached online. A lot of people help you out there and engage with people and just make sure that if you go to a class that you participate, I know that your classes, Craig, are real high on participation. You actually ask people every day and multiple times a day, what lessons did you learn here and and all that sort of stuff. So you want to be engaging with people and training with people. Uh, And, and this, this gets back to the whole academic side. Sometimes you get somebody who has the knowledge and they have the experience, but they don't necessarily know uh, how to effectively communicate that. So you want to, you want to leverage that out of people. You want to be asking them a lot of questions and, and here's yeah. here's something that you need to ask too, David. It goes right along with what you're saying is that e- even people that have initials after their name, you need to find out where what those initials mean. And I give you two examples. So Jennifer, my wife, we talked about this. We we did a podcast for the Survival Show where I interviewed her and we talked about edible plants. And one of the things she went to a class. This is man. This has probably been ten years ago where there was a biologist that was there teaching edible plants. Okay. She was excited as punch, you know, she's going to go with a professor from the university of Kentucky. And all it said was university of Kentucky biologist teaching edible plants. So she thought she, man, I'm definitely going to up my game here. And like the first plant, the woman suggested to eat was something that was problematic, like major problematic. 
And so Jennifer asked the question, Hey, what's your, what's your focus on in biology? And she's like equine biology. And that just kind of, that was never told to the people and to the students that she know, she knows horses really, really well. She didn't know crap about edible plants. And you'll see this. I see this on occasion where somebody's a, uh, a doctor, for example, and you don't know what they're, I mean, there's all kinds of people. You can be a doctor of music, but that doesn't mean that you can teach edible plants. And that's just, you need to check that kind of stuff out. I mean, that, that's, that's dangerous. And somebody that's qualified and educated uh, and is going to use that title like doctor or something like that, then you need to ask them and they did, they need to have an answer for you that should match up with the topic that they're teaching. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's important. I'm going to throw this back out because you mentioned this briefly before in a different way. I just want to encourage folks listening to this podcast that to not have amateur hour, meaning I think it's, I think it's fun. It's okay to share the things you're learning, but we all need to just be very aware of pride. We need to be aware of the keeping up with the Joneses kind of social media stuff that goes on because uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and everything, even YouTube tries to push us to, to be cutting edge, to maybe do or say some things that maybe are not smart, wise, or even within our, our best experience level. I know Craig, you and I have discussed this before and, and, uh, you know, I, I know I've been tempted to go outside of my expertise at times also. So you always just want to make very clear in a social media context or a personal context to if you're in the process of learning something, you're at a class or whatever, you know, do share. I mean, people want to see and, and know where you're training and all that sort of stuff. But just be really careful because you literally never know that a post that you're going to put up it may reach hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people and you could be steering them in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, dude. Rule number six, roast, fry, or boil all bugs. Cannot accent that enough. So I, I did a video and straight up, I'm going to be as frank as I possibly can. I told everybody in the video, I made this video with this title just to get views. It was something along the lines of how to eat maggots. So did you get views? No. <laughs> yeah, that was what was so disappointing about it. I didn't, you know, it's like that. I did that one just to get views. I thought, man, that'll be shared. Look at this guy. He's eating maggots and all this stuff. And no, I didn't. I mean, I've got a few thousand views on it. Whereas this stupid not video we were talking about earlier, I've got 2 million, you know, so it's just, I don't know. YouTube drives me crazy. Anyway, um, in that video, I, I roast the maggots that I eat and very, very important. I'm not going to eat maggots that are feeding on the dead carcass of a critter. I took maggots that were existing on pawpaws here in Kentucky and so I did some research and found out that, how do I say this? Because I don't know how to say it technically. But basically that maggot's uh, internal digestive tract turns into whatever it is that, that it is eating. And so as it feeds on a pawpaw, it basically has similar chemical properties to a pawpaw. 
So you could more than likely eat them raw without doing anything to them. But because grubs are so slow moving, they have a tendency as a general, a very general rule to harbor bacteria. It's always good to roast fry or boil them before you eat them. I know you have a story about uh, one particular, I'm just going to say it was less drought. I believe that, um, that you've shared before about roasting bugs. Was that, was that less? Do you remember what story I'm talking about? I don't remember about him. He ate a bunch of crickets oh, maybe. Okay. on one of his shows. I think maybe it was a mouse or something. Anyway, and I've seen this too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he, he, he caught a mouse in the desert, which is there's not a lot of critters in the desert. He found this little rock shelter, and he set up a like a, a figure four trap in the back because mice and rats and stuff will come out, and they'll fall along the edge of something, so it's a great place to catch critters like that. And uh, he caught a mouse, and then he basically cooked it until it was completely burnt black. Is that the story you're talking about? Yeah. Only because they harbor so much, or there's an opportunity for those animals to harbor so much bacteria, even in a wild setting. I, I had somebody one time ask, you know, because a mouse lives out in the middle of nowhere, or is it still at risk to hold that same bacteria? Oh, and yes, by all means it is because they basically live in their own poop. And that's, that's the reason they defecate and then they'll walk around it and sometimes leave that even in their nest. And so that's the reason, whether they're living out in the middle of nowhere or they're living in a, you know, a, uh, a slum in the middle of New York city, whatever it might be, you want to any type of rodent like that. And, uh, in that case, what Les did is he cooked this. I can't remember. It was small. It might have been like a chipmunk even. Um, he just, I mean, it was black. It was crispy. It was crunchy when he ate it. So, yeah, something to keep in mind for sure. So that's going to go with all your all your bugs and with other critters that you catch in the wild because you never know. And the reason is, Craig, that as far as the biologicals, the, the viruses and, and the bacteria, and all the nasty stuff, you want to get the internal temperature of whatever you're eating to that 160, 170 degrees is is even better, and that will kill all the bad stuff in there. Now, what about, we're not into bugs yet, but we've got some issues with snails, don't we? Because they uh, they hang out on, on various different mushrooms. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, they just, snails, here's one thing to keep in mind. Anything that moves slowly, I, I'm not going to go for it. Just because anything that moves slowly in the wilderness is more apt to have bacteria on it. That includes box turtles, um, you know, small centipedes, the bugs that just, they takes forever for them to move along the ground, grubs that are just hanging out in a dead log. These are all things that are going to move at a very slow pace. And so there's more opportunity for bacteria to reside on them than on others. Gotcha. Good. Rule number seven, as a general rule, avoid smelly, hairy, or bright colored bugs. We're into the general rules here. And, and we did talk about, this is the reverse of what you were talking about before with some plants like, you know, whatever, all, all orange, whatever are good or all orange something or others are bad. This is the, this is the opposite side of that. Uh, just being aware of smelly, hairy, or bright colored bugs c can be an issue. It doesn't mean that they all are. It just means that uh, 
nature has, I believe that God designed certain species to warn us and to attract us. That would be, that would be plants and bugs. And some, some is the reverse of what you would think. Uh, but oftentimes bright colored bugs, especially bugs with red in them are going to be an issue. And, and that's, I think you're the, you're the master naturalist, Craig. I think that's a general red's a general warning color for, for us, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. It's just, and again, let's make sure it's understood that it's a general rule because I can think of a, an anomaly that stands out from the smelly, the hairy and the bright colored bugs that you can eat. But we're just looking at a very general sense here today. So just keep those things in mind. And if you want to dig into that topic in depth, then, uh, then again, study with someone that knows deeply the topic. And I tell you one person that we had on here was Joe flowers. Joe flowers talked about all kinds of cool stuff when it comes to bugs. And, uh, so go back to that one and listen to Joe. That's good. So that's the seven rules. You want to go through them real quick, Craig? Yeah, let's let, let I'll repeat them for everybody. Rule number one, never eat anything unless you can positively ID it. Number two, don't eat plants possibly treated with chemicals. Number three, cook or boil plants whenever possible. Number four, for survival, never eat wild mushrooms. Number five, train with someone that knows what they are doing. Six, roast, fry, or boil all bugs. And number seven, as a general rule, avoid smelly, hairy, or bright-colored bugs. It's really good, Craig. We're always at that divergence or convergence where we have to, that crossroads. We are at a crossroads, Craig. We are over 45 minutes at this particular point, and we have not even gotten into bugs or plants. And we have, we have, we have I think we've been putting off, not putting off, we've just plain run out of time like the last three times to get to a mailbag question what do you want to do here? Should we should we maybe push off bugs? Let's put off bugs and plants, and let's dig into this question. Okay. Sounds good. If you're on Facebook, we'd love to have you join us on. Uh, and this this is outside of the survival show, but it's my organization, Nature Reliance School. We have a Facebook group called the Nature Reliance School Community Education Group, and it's it has a twofold purpose. One is to obviously educate people, and number two, to get people away from me. Uh, because I run nearly everything at Nature Reliance School, and I wanted to make sure that people hear from other people. So there's several different administrators in that group that are not me, and I try to support them when and where I can, but I actually do my best to stay out of everything purposely, very purposely. So um, Sarah Thompson is is one of the administrators there. Uh, She's come to several classes yeah, super nice lady. Uh, she's a homeschool mother. She is a physical therapist. Uh, she's a shooter. She's she's an incredible lady. Uh, great friend. She's been a great supporter of all things Nature Reliance School, and she she posts every Monday. And so we we've, we've got responsibilities divvied up among these different administrators. But survival, I mean, Sarah always posts on Mondays, and typically what she does is she posts a scenario and asks a question. And then we get in a discussion as a group on the answers to the question and how we would handle ourselves. So here's the question, uh, or here's the scenario that she set up. A large-scale event occurred bringing society back to a struggle for basic needs. Survival is now similar to what the initial United States settlers faced in regards to building, growing food, hunting, purifying water, cooking, medical, etc. 
two communities have started and you have to decide which community you will join and why. Okay. And here's your choices. Basically, she's asking, which one of these would you join? Uh, community A is uh, to be a member. You must always be able to equally contribute to tasks such as building, growing food, cooking food, purifying water, providing medical care, or hunting. This community disassociates with members who are unable to contribute equally. Okay, that's one. Community B, the second community, requires con contributions based on ability. Not all members equally contribute to building, growing food, purifying water, providing medical care, hunting, etc. Some members do not contribute at all to these life-sustaining tasks. And she offered the option C, which is do not join either one and live alone. Hmm. So I ask you, David, which one would you join? This is a really interesting question. In fact, I've been kicking these topics around with, with my son, Ben, and my wife and some other people. It's similar to this. Uh, the first thing I think of is, could this possibly happen? And this was a conversation I recently had. Could this happen? Uh, we had, I think it was Donnie we had on. He talked about cyber attacks and things like that. He didn't want to get into conspiracy theories, but you all need to go back and listen to that if you haven't. It was all about uh, cyber survival, really. And I see two possible scenarios here where we are very vulnerable. One is in our data infrastructure. If that went down, I believe right now that we've, we've got at least three governments of the world that we could shut down each other if, if we needed to, at least for a significant amount of time to shake us all up and, uh, those those governments, in my opinion, would be the United States, Russia, and China, and possibly some others. So that data in infrastructure could go down and create a, a society-altering event. The other one would be our grid. I, I, we have intrinsic vulnerabilities. We've talked about this, I think, with Creek Stort and some others, Craig, where sometimes you could just have a tree fall on a line and then all of a sudden... I mean, this has happened. Hundreds of thousands of people are without power, let alone that our our energy infrastructure is all controlled through the Internet. So it's a double hit, right? There's a situation right now that's going on in California because it's wildfire season out there. And you have a power company right now that's turning uh, various power grids off uh, north of San Francisco to because people sued them last year because of the wildfires that happened out there. And some of them, I don't know how this all works, but uh, the power lines and the wind and all that sort of work together where a, a fire could actually start through that. So they have the ability to just bam, turn off various different sections of their, their grid. So two vulnerabilities. Could this, could this happen? Yes. So, um, yeah, go ahead, man. Let me comment on that because we've been discussing that in our group on the line. This this comment that, or this scenario Sarah put up on Monday, but the last two days we've been discussing that situation. Um, two things everybody needs to understand about that. Number one, listen to what Dave is saying because it's true. 
Um, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, they're getting ready to shut off the power. And, well, they've started shutting the power off to several already. But event, before it's over with, they're going to have the power shut off to almost 2 million people in Northern California. Okay. Some people in California on social media are going, why are they doing this? I don't, I can't deal with this. I can't, I, I can't have this happen and all this stuff as if they've never heard of it. Whereas a lot of people have been hearing that they're going to do this for months, that the power companies have made it abundantly clear they're going to do this. It's nothing that happened by surprise. They've broadcast this ever since last year and they got their pants suit off. So pay attention. When a company says, hey, we might have to cut the power off if there's fires, you need to be ready for that. And that could happen anywhere. That could happen in Kentucky. That could happen in Pennsylvania. That could happen in Texas. It could happen anywhere. Is that it's These are the more realistic things that happen. And I think we look at preppers and survivalists and stuff of that nature of being conspiracy theorists. And a lot of times it is well-deserved. But this is the kind of thing that you need to be prepared for, without a doubt. I mean, if you're on oxygen for example, and you need oxygen to live and you don't have power, how are you going to get that oxygen? You need to have a backup power source for that. I mean, I think of it as simple as people, you know, morale goes down quickly if you don't eat good and you don't sleep good. How many people are on a CPAP machine at their house in Northern California that are not going to have that CPAP machine because the electric's off? Now they're driving tired, they're going to work tired, and... You know, that's where problems occur. Something as simple as that. Yeah. Everybody hear what Craig's saying. You don't own your power. This is, this is classic. This is normalcy bias. We have only had power like this. It's been what? A hundred and hundred and some years, right? I mean, we've grown up with it. We've all grown up with it. We expect that we get, get up in the morning. We turn the lights on. Everything works, right? but you don't own your power. So if you're in Northern, I, I saw a report last night, dude was saying, Hey, I can't even find a generator anywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's Cause he, he waited until guides. now to get a generator, which is stupid. <laughs> right. They've been talking about this for months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But sportsman's guide has them. <laughs> there you go, son. That's what I'm talking about. Sportsman's guide has them. There you go. There you go. I love it. All right, man. So let's get into your question. This is a really good question. So you want to? Uh, so we've got two different communities. This this is, has happened, and now we're kicked back. What 200 years? Um, I believe what we would see. We would see. Uh, uh, what what is it? Kind of more of like a Mad Max scenario where you're going to have a convergence of people that are prepared and they have power and they have some technology and, and they're, they're smart and they've hacked things together. So I think you're going to have, you're going to have this really interesting mix of, of modern or like 1960s technology, seventies technology uh, cobbled together with uh, primitive, you know, certainly a lot of primitive uh, methods and, and people pulling together. So two communities, one that, where everybody equally contributes to everything. Then you have a community where people contribute. If I'm understanding this, Craig, people contribute based on what their particular skill set is. And some of the people in, in this B group uh, may not contribute to the, the hunting, gathering, uh, food preparation or water collection or whatever, whatever 
uh, security, whatever the most vital survival tasks are. Do, Do I have this right? You have it right. I would not, I would not personally be able to be part of community A. You would not be part of community A? That's correct. You would go for B or C. C, the other choice was not joining either. You'd live alone. All right. So I I think that it's vital to connect with people now who, if a situation like this happens, you've already got established relationships. You can trust. You can trust them and you have some complementary skill sets. I believe in complementary skill sets because, um, not everybody's going to lead this group. Somebody's somebody's going to have to lead or a team's going to have to lead. And various different people have, have different skill sets. Dude, if if we've got a guy who has I've got some I've got a friend that's local who just knows technology. He would keep a communication grid up forever in the event of something like this happening because he's prepared in that way but I would not have him tending the garden or going out and hunting. No, I would not put a firearm in his hand, but I would protect him at all costs. Right. And, and that's, that's just from a practical sense, from a, from a moral uh, core value sense. um, Community a sounds to me like that. It it almost sounds in, in a way, sort of like, Nazi fascist in that, Hey, if you're a useless eater, we're going to kick you out. And I don't feel that that values the intrinsic, uh, nature and value and worth that God has uh, placed in each human being. So that's, that's my answer. That's my, that's actually my short answer. How about you? I said B, um, most everybody in the group said B. Um, and I wanted to bring up a few of the comments that came up with it. Um, one was Todd Gibson. He, Todd Gibson listens to every single podcast. So he's listening right now as we're saying this. Hey, Todd, thanks for listening, buddy. Uh, he, he said it pretty distinctly. He said, B, as long as the so-called non-contributors are that way due to illness, injury, or age, I won't tolerate any people that don't, uh, work and do things when Pull they their can. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. that yeah, people have to pull their weight. Wh- whatever, whatever they can do, they should, they should do it, and they should do it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to say, to be honest, I think even the sick and injured can contribute, and the old are often of great importance to a community. One of the things that we do, not to give too much info into what we do in a survival class, but we have a test at the end, and everybody has to get all these tasks accomplished. And then I throw all these surprises in to make them think outside the box when they're going through the test. One of the things I always do is I pick somebody and I blind them and I put the, put a blindfold on them. And so they go from, this is a wilderness survival class, building shelters, gathering wood, gathering food and water and all the things that you need to do in a wilderness survival course. And then now they're blinded and they can't do much. And so what happens is people that don't think outside the box, they will take that person and just sit them down in the shelter and not have them doing anything. The ones that think outside the box will bring materials to them. Like, for example, they'll bring the firewood to them and have, have them process it because you can process firewood blinded. Yeah. And in that way, you find a way that the person that is seemingly not of value, I hate to say it that way because it just sounds so mean spirited, but you find value for them 
and you don't allow the weak and whether they're weak in stature or they're weak in mind, you don't allow them to wallow in their misery because by golly, here's what happens. They're not contributing. And that's a problem when they, if they could, you know, an 80 year old woman, she might not be able to do much. She might just be the storyteller that keeps everybody's morale up, you know, and that right there is going to be important, but find, find uh, something, you know, it might be then, you know, a, 85 year old man who has, you know, 85 years of experience, uh, living on his own by himself, who has some stories to tell and Hey, he can't do something because his hands are weak or he's arthritic or something. And he can tell people how to do things or help them learn how to do things. You know, there's a way to find ways for people to, to do things. Overall, our group in discussion of this said much of what you said, David, in, in that, um, choice A is basically a communist government methodology, Nazi, fascist, and it's not the way that we do things here. Uh, there were a few people that chose option C, and they probably have a well-defined unit um, a family that they work with, and they can go off and do that on their own. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with choosing option C, actually, if you have a small family unit that you can do things. Or if you are an actual solo individual and you want to live and die by by your own um, abilities. I think that's noble if that's what you want to do. Uh, but the majority of people chose B, but I think it was really important that everybody said it was humanity that made it important that we cannot forget our humanity. And at the same time, um, we are not going to allow people to be lazy. Not going to allow that to happen. So yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good, pretty good discussion. So anybody listening here, if you are on Facebook and you want to join these discussions and get on Nature Reliant School Community Education Group, love to have you. So I'm going to leave people with a tip, Craig. And while I am, maybe you can think of one or two things just from this general discussion that you want to leave people with. Here's my tip, guys. Just because I think it's I think it's incredibly plausible that we will have some sort of a a situation like this. It may not be this dramatic, but but at some point you're going to be without power and it may be for an extended period of time and or internet. So here's my tip. I just want to encourage everybody here to right now even think of something that's on their heart to learn, something that may or may not go with their current skill set that can make them of value to others in the event that something like this happens so that uh, you are prepared and you have a particular skill. It may even just be leadership. Just keep taking leadership training. We always need good leaders and thinkers, people that can think outside the box and that care for other people. So whatever that is, whatever you're thinking right now, pursue that. Make a plan to get out to one of Craig's classes or take some training online or go back to school like Craig's doing here or uh, just do some self, self-learning, self get a good book, listen to some good podcasts, whatever but increase your value, uh, pick up a new skill, develop a skill, become an expert at something so that you, you can contribute to a group like this. How about you, Craig? Man, I couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, one of the things that we were going to get into was the discussion of the scientific method today, what we didn't have time to, but just when you're studying and learning things, uh, and I'm just going to go through these real quick, okay, because we need to get into this a little bit more in depth. You make an observation. You form a question about that observation. You then form a hypothesis 
about that question, which is basically you, you make a guess on what you think is happening. You conduct an experiment and then you analyze the data and draw a conclusion and look, just look up scientific process and apply that to survival and bushcraft and keep this phrase in mind. I'll leave you with this phrase. Don't do something until you get it right. Do something until you cannot get it wrong. I'll say it again. Don't do something until you can, you get something right. Do something until you cannot get it wrong. Just a case in point bow drill. If you engage in making a bow drill fire, for example, and then you get that bow drill fire and now you got bow drill fire or you think you do, then you cannot be any more wrong than you are. You want to be able to do that bow drill until you just can't do it wrong. You just keep doing it. You have multiple, if dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of successes making a bow drill fire. Not that you get one. Um, you know, there was a, eh, I'm not going to get into that, but do something not until you just get it right, but until you can't get it wrong. You like that, don't you, David? I do, man. I do. <laughs> and actually, you mentioned that a couple of podcasts ago. And and you actually mentioned that in relation to uh, longbow hunting, I believe it was. And this is this is bow hunting started this past Saturday here in Pennsylvania. And I haven't been out with yet. And the reason is I I took that to heart. I do I want to longbow hunt, but I feel like I just need to continue to practice until I cannot miss that bullseye. Um so I took it to heart, man. I and I believe that just in general there's there's some this isn't a uh, spiritual, biblical context of a podcast, but there is a verse, and I believe it's in uh, Colossians. It says, do everything with excellence as unto the Lord. So I just want to encourage people, whether you believe the Bible or not, be a person of excellence. And, and that's part of what uh, my suggestion was to increase your value, learn a skill, be excellent at it. And what Craig's saying here. Uh, become so excellent at whatever that is that you can't do it wrong in a sense. We're all right. going to do things wrong, but you know hey, what I mean? You're increasing your probability. Yeah. And I, yeah man. Th- this came up to me recently and I went to the, to a, a bushcraft, the Udvayan bushcraft gathering in Pennsylvania. And there's a couple there, uh, Eddie Starnader and Julie Martin, who are friends of mine now. They've been friends for a while, but I'd never met them in person. And Julie taught a bow drill class there. Okay. She's got a bow drill book and I've done hundreds of bow drill fires. And I'm listening to this woman going, she knows more about bow drill than I ever thought about knowing about bow drill, you know? And it's just one of those times where even if I'm going to share that skill with somebody, you know, I'm going to, I'm still going to point them to Julie because Julie, she knows more about bow drill than I ever thought about knowing about bow drill. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, so just admit and know what your levels are. Do everything you can to study with as many people as you can, whether it's edible plants or bow drill fire making or eating bugs or whatever, and just continue to apply that scientific method. Because if not, you get caught up in emotion. And that's where, which is another discussion we've had in this group. I'm not trying to sell this group, this, this podcast, but I am, I guess. We've had a discussion about putting teachers on pedestals and how dangerous that is. And um, that's when you get tied into the emotion of a process and think this way is the only way. And 
there's just so many different ways to do things. So yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's fantastic. I can't agree enough. And Craig, I really enjoyed this discussion today. Yeah, it's been a good one, man. I like it. I did. I, I'm glad we got some more. We'll do it again because we got another whole podcast to cover the rest of what we had in our notes. So it's that's good. You want me to close us out? Yeah, take us out of here, man. All right, guys and gals, don't forget about the Sportsman's Guide. We brought it up two or three times um, today. If you're in Northern California, then order you a generator off there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, man, I just, these people out here are killing me that they're not prepared. Yeah. Uh, so Patreon, PayPal, there's an option straight on anchor where you can donate and, and help support what it is that we're doing here. All of those, we just, boom, can't thank you enough. Appreciate you. You, the fascizzle of our dizzle. We appreciate you all very much for doing that. But, um, it's important also that if you don't have the funds, cause we want you to be part of our community to subscribe to the podcast that helps us out. It's hard to explain why that helps us, but that helps us out as well. It's free to do that. You don't have to spend a dime. It doesn't cost you a penny even to give us a five-star review and leave a review that says something along the lines of Craig and David are super duper in your sentencing. Uh, make sure you put that in there because that's important. Everybody loves hearing that, especially me. And then that is a way that you can also help us out free is to share the podcast wherever you feel comfortable sharing it and where you don't feel comfortable sharing it, share it anyway, because that helps. And I think that's it. So click the links in the description below for the things that we've mentioned in the show today. That's valuable. Uh, Again, support uh, support our sponsors, the big one, the cool one. The sexy one, the one that's just getting the the shizzle on Amazon right now is the Tiny Survival Guide and cards. I had somebody write me about those cards this week, David, and they did a video and sent it to me. Did you see that by chance? (laughs) I'm sorry. I've had my mic off. I've been laughing the whole time you were doing this (laughs) close, man. (laughs) Dude. What is that? The sizzle in my... What? What? <laughs> Come on, man. No, I, I didn't just, see it. I didn't see it, man. Anyway, no, there's I a... I didn't send it on. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention it right here for everybody, <laughs> but Chris Harper over at Skills to Survive uh, did a did a really nice video on the Tiny Survival Guide and the Tiny Survival Guide, our card. I had sent him a couple, and uh, he, got a, he put a nice video together. So check out Skills to Survive. That's a two, the number two. And uh, you can see his uh, take on the tiny survival guide and card he sharpened up the knife dude and did some really cool things with it but well that's all that said i think that's it thanks for listening everybody pick up those tiny survival guides and cards we'll see you next time on the survival show podcast keep it simple be positive and stay sharp <laughs>